Well, hey, good morning, church. Hey, welcome. I am glad you were here today. I hope you are ready to come and to worship. I um, hope you're ready to uh, man, just enjoy the time that we're going to have together this morning and that it in some way uh, affects you and provides some life change for you before we go. Well, hey, today we are celebrating our current impact uh, that is going on. Uh, hopefully you've uh, taken some time to look at some pictures. If not, I encourage you to do so. But we're going to start this morning just sharing some things about this last year particularly that uh, talk about uh, the impact that we have been having um, here at Mountain View. So I get to start with that. <clears throat> a decade ago, a member of our church turned his truck around on Cleveland Avenue because he saw some folks sleeping under an awning, and he went back, handed them some hand warmers. That was the beginning of No One Left Behind ministry. Since then, through weekly relational ministry, No One Left Behind has been able to help people get clean from addictions, move into housing, secure jobs, find a place of belonging at Mountain View, and they've introduced dozens of people to Jesus. In fact, in 2019, half of our 21 baptisms were from disciples of folks from Ministry of No One Left Behind. Um, that, that is an impact that, that we are making. A decade ago, half a dozen home groups and a handful of what we had then called women's Bible studies were around at Mountain View. And in 2019, the last of our leaders completed the necessary training to transform our disconnected groups and study offerings into an intentional grouping that we now call Grow Groups that are focused on spiritual transformation, group member care, service, and development of future leaders. We've launched groups number 35 and 36 in 2019 with over 300 people involved. We now hear weekly about the caring, the life change, the learning that's going on in all of our Grow Groups. People in our groups are being touched and changed, and we're excited about that impact. A decade ago, our push to encourage generosity was pretty scattered. Our support went in too many different directions and disconnected ways. Over the past five years, we've brought a single focus to our fall generosity campaign, local missions. In 2019, we were brought in our largest generosity offering to date. These funds will help our No One Left Behind ministry, bag buddies at Highland Elementary, student camps, retreat scholarships, our community giving tree and shopping night and other local outreach ministries and opportunities. Our Christmas shopping night helped out the largest number of families yet while we partnered with the largest number of teachers that night from Highland. We are becoming partners with Highland Elementary staff and a resource for our neighborhood families, helping students experience moments at retreats, camps, and missions trip that shape their spiritual lives and their future. We're being a light to the impoverished in our community and in our neighborhood school, and we're excited about that impact. I get to talk to you guys about celebrating what we're doing in student ministry. No, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm way not cool enough to do that. 
Christian and I were just talking about that. He's like, look at the difference between the two of us standing here right now. And I was like, you are cool enough to work with students. I'm definitely not. But today I get to celebrate what we're doing in kids. And I'm really, really excited when I look back and I had an opportunity to look back on what we've done the past year. Uh, two years ago, during our midweek time with kids on a Wednesday night, it looked a lot like childcare where we had kids just come and hang out while their parents experienced life change in grow groups. Well, Brenna and I said, you know what? We can do better than that. So this fall, we launched our grow group kids. And now we have a grow group of 17 kids that meets regularly every Wednesday night. And in that group, they get to have fun together, they worship together, they learn together, and they pray together. In fact, one of my parents said, or one of um, my kids' parents said, uh, you know, my daughter wasn't feeling very good on a Wednesday night, but she couldn't miss the journaling and prayer time that happened on Wednesday night. So she said, we've just got to go. We've got to go. So Mountain View, we are making an impact with the kids here in our building. For years now, we've held Trunk or Treat on our campus site, in our building, in our parking lot. We had the community come to us. And this past fall, we moved Trunk or Treat to Highland Elementary. Now, Trunk or Treat has always been really well attended, so I don't want to celebrate the attendance of Trunk or Treat. What I want to celebrate is the process that we went through to really talk about what does serving with our uh, partner school look like. And sometimes that looks like going to their parking lot so that they can see and know and feel that they don't need to come to us to receive God's love. We will happily infiltrate their parking lot with Jesus in the form of candy and decorated trunks and hand warmers and pop-up tents if necessary because we care about the work that Highland is doing. We care about our surrounding neighborhoods and we know that God can work through the school and really we want to join him in that. So Mountain View, we're making an impact with our kids in our local neighborhoods. And finally, two summers ago, we launched, we relaunched VBS, and it has been so much fun. It's one of the funnest weeks of the summer for me. VBS gives us the opportunity to let our community know that, that God cares about kids and that we really care about kids. Kids are important. Uh, so many of us have uh, a memory or a story about how VBS impacted their lives when they were kids. Raise your hand if you attended VBS and can remember that time or a story when you were a kid. Well, for me, through VBS, I learned that church was really fun, that God was reachable, and that Jesus gave little old ladies special powers to love kids perfectly. Because you see, I made some really great connections with those little old ladies during VBS week through craft time and small group and conversation. And those relationships actually lasted beyond VBS through encouragement cards to me, through tea times where I would go and sit with ladies and they would just talk to me and get to know me when I was younger. And eventually one of those relationships turned into a mentoring one that led me to accept Jesus. So VBS, guys, it's not just a one-week event that we put on for kids here. It's really the beginning of a relationship with a kid that we have an opportunity for. So today, I'm just excited to celebrate what we're doing with kids, and I want to thank you for joining us in that.
Uh, I just want to share briefly part of my experience um, as we celebrate uh, student ministry, especially our camps and our retreats and the conferences that we go to. Um, and for me growing up, this is where I made all the important decisions in my faith. Um, the, the time I decided to really start living my life for Jesus was at camp. The time I sat down on a bench with my youth pastor and we talked about baptism and what it means and what it looks like to really be a disciple happened at camp. Uh, when I decided that I wanted to go into ministry, it happened at camp. Camp was the first place I got to try and lead junior hires as a, as a senior in high school. Um, everything happened there. It's where my relationship with some of my mentors grew because, you know, at church we just get to see each other about an hour a week. Maybe we get together occasionally, but, man, that's where you get to spend a lot of time together. And I don't know if you are familiar with students' lives today, but they are super busy. They're taking all their extra classes, working on college early, sports or like a whole life commitment. Everything is bigger and more involved, and they don't have as much time to just get away and focus on God and get rid of all those distractions. And, and we have seen God work amazing in the life of students at camps and retreats. In fact, all the kids that you've seen get baptized. There's a lot that goes into that. They're families, people, but I know that our camps and retreats played a huge role in that. Um, one of the conferences we go to, they do an amazing job of giving students a chance to make a next step. And I'll never forget seeing one of our students who, at the time, I didn't even really know that well. They had this setup where you'd go to the front and you'd hit this uh, button, because we were talking about uh, walking into the light, and then it would light up this dark room as a, as a way to say, I'm making a commitment to live my life for Jesus. I remember seeing that and being like, wow, I didn't even have anything to do with that. That is awesome. And so we just want to celebrate that, and I want to celebrate our church too, because since I've been here from our generosity, we have helped 30, just over 30 kids go to one of our camps or retreats or getaways that they couldn't have gone to without that generosity as well. And so if you guys will just, yeah, let's give a round of applause for our whole church, just as we celebrate what God's doing through camps and retreats with our students. Thank you. All right, I get to uh, talk just briefly about global missions, particularly. And uh, this past year, we accomplished something pretty remarkable. If you went on the Africa trip with us, would you stand up where you're at? Because I, just stand up, all right? There you go. All right. Now, now, here's what's remarkable, all right? I want you to look around for just a second. Um, several of the group members are over <clears throat> a certain age. <laughs> and the miracle is this. Here's the miracle. We brought everybody home that we went with. All right? And so go ahead. Have a seat there. But here's what I want to talk about. Our church did something that had never happened before in Kenya. And uh, we built a playground out of tires. And it was a lot of work. And it was a lot of uh, troubleshooting and I'm really glad that we had people who are a lot smarter than me in constructing something that's supposed to be standing up. But the beauty of what happened this year in Kenya wasn't that we built the playground. It's that this was a Mountain View adventure. And some of you participated as senders. Some of you prayed. Some of you encouraged. Some of you signed up and went and pushed some tires around. 
Not only did we do that, but another thing that we got to do was we got to partner with Mary and Wallace Kamau, and we got to refurbish kind of the guest house on their property. And, uh, and why is that important? Well, because they have literally hundreds of people every year through their home, and they just wanted it to be nice. And this is what they said. They said, we want Mountain View to do this because every time we're at Mountain View, you guys take such good care of us. And so could you help us do what you do for us so that we can do it for others? And so there is a group of ladies, and we say ladies because really it was, it was a group of ladies who got the bleach out, who got the, the, the hardcore cleaning stuff, and they scrubbed grout, they scrubbed floors, they uh, made quilts and, and, and bought pillows, and we took it all over there with us, all right? Have you ever had those vacuum bags, <laughs> stuffing it full of sheets and blankets and, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? All right, good, good. We did it. We did it. Here's the cool thing. Mountain View people participated in this too. The quilts, we didn't just go buy quilts. Mountain View made quilts, right? We didn't just buy pictures and hang them on the wall. We took pictures that are drawings of people that we know and paintings, and, and guess what? They got hung. And I'm friends with a guy named Dick Alexander, and Dick was there shortly after, and he sent me a text message. He said, oh, you have no idea how much better it is to stay at the Kamau's now. Almost a year later, he was there just a few weeks ago, sends me a text message, and he says, it's still nice. <laughs> Here's the whole point. When we participate in our global mission stuff, whether it's in Mexico or with what's going on with uh, Carrie in, in New Zealand, uh, man, God is doing great things. We have a, a partner that we've talked about briefly who's in Southeast Asia. Their ministry is drastically changing this year, drastically changing, in that refugees, Muslim refugees, are escaping Iran and going to their hometown and trying to enroll in their Christian school. Now think about that. Think about that. Sometimes when God closes doors for us to go someplace, God opens doors for people to come to us. Man, Matt, what you're doing globally is remarkable. It's amazing. If you are thinking about participating, man, I would encourage you to do so. Maybe you are thinking, man, maybe it's time for me to go to Africa. Yes, it is. We've got a Mexico trip coming up. If you want to work hard all the days of your lives while in Mexico, then man, come with us and do that. But be proud of the work that you're doing and the work you're accomplishing. How's it going, guys? So about two years ago, our church began this experience called Rooted. How many of you guys have gone through Rooted? Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. And um, after I went through this experience, I quickly figured out that Rooted wasn't just an experience, amen, but Rooted was a lifestyle. You know, learning to live Rooted in Jesus Christ, learning to live Rooted with the people that God put around me, learning to um, live rooted in my faith and knowing that I can be rooted because of the grace of God, it really 
just changed my life and impacted my life in a great way. And I know it's impacted the lives of hundreds of people in our congregation, you know. And, uh, I mean, it impacted us, you know, so much that I even wrote a song about it. You guys want to hear the song? All right. So if you want, you can stand to your feet. If not, you can sit down, but I'd rather have you stand to your feet. So. <laughs> All right. You're lucky. For time's sake, I was going to tell you a really ridiculous story today. Um, so just say, thank you, time. All right? Because uh, I was really nervous to share it anyway, so now I just could whew, eliminate it. And some of you are going to say, what was the story? You're going to be really thankful, all right? Just just trust me, all right? But here, here's the reality. There are a lot of people who attend churches all over the world, literally on Sunday mornings and, and other times throughout the week, who, who come to church, who go home, who come to church, who go home, and really, really, they don't often understand the why behind the what of what we do. Do you know that? Sometimes, even at Mountain View, I'm sure some of you come here and you do the church thing and you wonder, why why do we do that? Or, or what is it that they do and why, why do they do it? And so what I want to do today as part of this three-week series where we're looking at the past, the present, and the future is bring some clarity, if you will, just to some, some of the why behind what we do, what we want to accomplish. But, but let me catch you up really quick. This was a test last week. I'm going to test you again this week. If you know Mountain View's mission, would you just say it out loud? Well, we'll help you, all right? How's that? All right, we'll give you a cheat sheet right up here. It's called this uh, screen, right? Mountain View's mission is? Oh, man, you guys are so good. Really, that's, that's very good. If you're, if you're new to Mountain View, seriously, write this down. Write it down, right? Put it, put it in your memory if you can, because it's really important. I think a lot of times what churches get based on or this idea of building a denomination or building a building or building something, but really what we want to do and the whole, the whole passion behind of everything that we're doing is, is this. We want to affect life change through belonging, growing, and serving. This is what we want to be about. And so I want to unpack that just a little bit with us. I want us to look at a familiar scripture that already in 2020 we've looked at three times, all right? So if you're keeping count, it's, it's three, but I'm going to keep on bringing it to us until we do it. How's that sound? Is that all right? Good, good, good. And so it's this. It's Acts chapter 2. And it's a really good look at the early church and what the early church did. And, and in the New Testament, first believers. And what did they do? And how did they do it? And so look at this. This is so powerful. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, And all who believed were together. And they had things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, day by day, attending the temple, what's the word? Together. And breaking bread in their homes. It's not there, but we could say together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being Saved. Is this not powerful? I mean, when you really read this, and especially when you emphasize the word together, together they were doing this, and together they were going there, and together they were accomplishing this, and together, together, together. Oh, I love how this first church was so small yet had such a significant impact. 
I love it. And yet today we have so many Christian churches around the world with what seems to be a smaller impact on the world. So what's the difference? What's the difference between the two? The early church, in my opinion, they they were tremendously blessed because they were unified. They were together. They were unified. They were together. They believed that the scripture was very, 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 very very important. And, And so they studied it together and they believed relationships were incredibly important. And so they did life together, right? And they believed being generous is something they should be, not do. They should be generous, and they were, and they were generous together. Do you see it? And because they were so unified, the early church, they were so unified, they were so generous, and they did all of this together, literally. They were so unified that they could be criticized, and it wouldn't stop them. Think about that. And you could threaten them. You could threaten to hurt them. You could threaten to hurt them. And guess what? They would only become more passionate. It would be, a threat would be like fuel to their passion. And they would just do more. You could persecute them. And you know what happened when you persecuted the early church? They became more powerful and more unstoppable. And they become more focused and more intentional. And you think about this, right? You could even kill some of them, and they did. They persecuted and killed some of them. And guess what happened? They became more focused, more intentional, and and doing the things that Jesus was leading them to do. They were so united. They were so united. No matter what you did against them, they couldn't be stopped. They were unified. They were in agreement. And they were together. It just makes me think, and I'm just going to say this. what, What does God want What does God want? Simply put, I believe God wants us to be united. And I believe that God wants us to be in agreement. And I believe God wants us to be together. Now compare that to what the enemy wants. What does our enemy want? The enemy wants us to be separate and divided and against. God is in the business of bringing unity. God unites and Satan divides. You you think of the entire biblical story of everything from start to Genesis to Revelation. It's about God trying to bring together, to to piece together, to fix the brokenness, to, to heal the divide. From start to finish, you can read that that's what God is in the business of doing. And then you read the same exact beginning to end story. Who is against and who is about dividing and who is about breaking and who is about destroying? It's the enemy. The word division, the word division itself, D equals two, is really what it is when you think of division. It's two different visions. Two different visions. I mean, the enemy always wants to make us think that my vision is more important than your vision. And when we do that, as opposed to agreeing on one vision, we are divided. We're divided. So let me ask you a question. Do you think Christians around the world today are united or divided? 
If you ask me, I would sadly say that we are very divided. Very divided. Worse than divided, we, we, are, we are splintered and we can barely get along. And I just imagine being God, it must break the heart of God. It must break the heart of God. The things that the church, the things that we fight over, the things that we disagree on, the things that we... Ah, I, I follow a lot of pastor blogs and what's going on with churches and around the world, and, and, and there, are, there are denominations who are literally beating each other up silly right now. They don't have to worry about persecution on the inside, outside because it's, it's happening inside. They don't stand a chance to be persecuted from the outside because they're doing good enough job themselves on the inside. What a huge difference from the church today, from the church in Acts 2. When they were together, they were unified, and they were generous. I mean, could you imagine Acts 2 being written about the church today? Maybe it would sound something like this. All the believers were divided. They didn't have much in common, except they wanted things to go their own way. They hoarded their possessions and their goods. They kept as much as they could for themselves so that they could just acquire more. Every now and then they'd gather together as was convenient for them. They loved Jesus when it was convenient for them. They were despised by people because of their hypocrisy. And outsiders couldn't understand why they beat one another up so badly, which means very few people were being saved. That's harsh. Isn't that harsh? Isn't that discouraging? What I think that God's plan all along has been for the church to literally be the salt and light of the world. For the church to rise and to shine and to be the beacon of light that Jesus longed for us to be. So why? Why? Well, I think there's a lot of different reasons. But I think one of the theories is this. That in our country today, Christianity is more about a me Christianity than a we Christianity. Somewhere along this road, and maybe it's our own fault because we start out with Christianity, that it's a personal decision and you make the decision yourself to follow Jesus and nobody else can make that decision for you. And by the way, we still stand by that, all right? But maybe what's happened is from the get-go, we never change the language. We say you have to make this personal decision. It's a, it's a me decision. It's a decision that I have to make that nobody can make for me. But when I do make the decision to follow Jesus... I become a part of this family of God, this, this Jesus family, and all of a sudden something begins to happen. And, and I, become to be, I become more aware of who Jesus is and what Jesus does because I'm intimately connected with other people in community. I have a shared relationship with Jesus. My relationship is personal, but it's a shared relationship with other people. And when we experience Jesus, we experience him because two or more of us are gathered Something happens. Something changes. Something begins to, to work in us. And we become a part of a movement. A movement that is a Jesus movement. That's an unstoppable movement. And hear my heart. If, you, if you're a believer. And you're following Jesus. 
I really desire for you to be plugged in somewhere in a local church. I do, I do. And, and you know what? This is, I'm not a good salesman. I, I really am not. If Mountain View's not for you, no bad feelings. Here's why. Because you're a believer. Find a church that you can plug into, that's teaching the Bible, that helps you use your gifts to further the kingdom. I hope, man, I hope it would be Mountain View. But I get it. But hear this, hear this. What I want you to be a part of is the greatest movement, the greatest cause on our planet, and that is the church. That is helping people get to know Jesus in a very personal, real way. That's so important. If it is Mountain View, and I, I'm hopeful that today you're here, and, and it is, all right? Whew, I know, take that air away, right? I want us to agree upon a couple of things. If you agree, I'm hopeful today that you'll say yes, that you'll say yes. I want to partner with Mountain View. I want to partner with what God's doing, and I want to affect life change. That's what we want to do. And so I've got just a few agreement statements because I don't want us to be divided, especially on some of these. Does that make sense? And so you ready? I've got like 11 minutes. Here we go. First one is this. We agree Christianity should not be divided. That Jesus intended the creation of one church. And I love this. Part of the reason I love this is this is actually a f- statement straight out of, of Mountain View's history. Right in the early 1800s to the mid-1800s, there's a group of people, people like Thomas Campbell and Alexander Campbell and, and Barton Stone and Walter Scott, and, and, and they were just a part of the church. You know what they decided? They really said, you know what? There's so much that's bogged down true primitive Christianity. And what they did is they said, you know what, we, we really want to create this movement. It's called the Restoration Movement, and it would be a solution to achieve Christian unity combined with forsaking the creeds and, and the traditions and really, really get rid of the things that they felt like divided Christianity. And what they did is, is they just came back to primitive Christianity that would be based on Scripture, found in Scripture, that was common to, for all Christians, and, and they just lived it out. Now, now here's the, fast forward the story, eventually, guess what happened? They divided. Why'd they divide? Because somebody had different visions for the church than other people, you know? In our, in our history, it had to do with music. Did you know this? And so there was a divide. Do we have instruments in worship or do we not have instruments in worship? Could you imagine worship ever dividing a church? Right? And it did. And it did. But here's the deal. What I love about this agreement statement that Christianity should not be divided, Jesus intended the creation of one church, is it's right after the heartbeat of Jesus himself. When Jesus is praying to God in John 17, listen to what he says. I do not ask for these things only, but also for those who will believe in me through the word that they may, say it with me, all be one. I mean, this is the prayer of Jesus. That those who would believe, he's saying, Father, those who would believe in me, I just pray 
I pray that they wouldn't divide. I pray that they wouldn't fight. I pray that they wouldn't hurt one another. I pray, God, that they would be one because, God, you and I are one. And I want them to experience what you and I experience. You can almost hear Jesus' plea. And God, I know that our enemy is going to fight, fight, fight hard to divide them. But what I pray, Father, is that you would help them be one them be one, just as you, Father, in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. How will the world know? When we are unified. And that's powerful. God unites. God is in the business of uniting. Where there is division, we should sniff and smell the enemy. Here's another one. We agree in essentials, unity, in opinions, liberty, and in all things, love. Again, this is a statement straight out of our early restoration movement, our history, right? 18, early 1800s. But do you get the heart behind it? This provided the idea that Christi Christian unity can be achieved by finding a set of essentials that are reasonable and that all reasonable people could agree upon. I realize that the reasonable people thing is an important piece of that. But essentially what I say when I describe this is there are a few things, there are just a few things that go into my fighting hand. Just a few things. Why? Because if I've got too many things, it's not going to be a very good fight because I'm going to be holding. It's hard to give an uppercut when you've got a bag tied to your hand, Right? Just a few things. What are some of those few things? <laughs> Most of them have to do with Jesus. He was born of a virgin. He lived among us perfectly. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. He was buried and he rose three days later. And outside of that, what's more important in my fighting hand than those things? What, what's more critical than Jesus. Man, everything else, everything else is in my open hand. Why? Because we could fight all day long about these things. And my heart, my passion is to put the essential things in this hand, the essential things, the most important things in this hand, so that I can fight with those things. These things, now let's go have coffee. Let's talk all day long. End times, listen, we could have a conversation about what view of eschatology you possess, all right? And in this room, we're probably going to have at least 15 different opinions, 1,500 different opinions, all right? And so listen, I know this. You know what's in my fighting hand about end times? He's coming back. How? Well, let's go get a cup of coffee and let's uh, talk about your thoughts and my thoughts and uh, we can have a lot of fun with that. Does that make sense? That's the heart behind here. But even more than what the essentials are or, or what the non-essentials are, did you capture the statement that in all things, even where we disagree in the open-handed things, 
in all things, even the things that I'm going to fight with, what will we have? Love. 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 It says it right here in John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you will love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this, all people will know you belong to me, that you are my disciples. He doesn't say the things that are in our fighting hand or the things that are our open hand. People will know you're my disciples. He says, by the way you love one another, the way we treat each other, the way we encounter the world, they will know, they will know, they will know that you belong to me by the way you, what? Believe about these things? No. About the way you love one another. Next one. We agree to do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus personally. I'm not asking you to sin. But I think something's happened throughout the history of the church. I don't know what it is, but I'm more reluctant to share. I think you're more reluctant to share. We're just, we're just scared. And I would like to change that because I think that the greatest answer about how to find the purpose of life and meaning is found in Jesus. And, and what I think is we need to agree to do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. That's what we need to do. I want us to understand this, but believe me when I tell you that, that we do literally anything short of sin. Why is that? Because we do not believe that the church just exists for us. We believe the church is supposed to be the light and the salt of the world, and we exist for the world, and that there's a big difference. When the church exists just for us, we're kind of reluctant to let anybody else in. I mean, look at us. We can only handle so much. We just get a little bit on the nervous side. I love what Paul says. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. And this is what he says, I have become all things to all people, that I might save some. Unfortunately, our modern interpretation of this is that, hey, see, I've got a personal preference, and now I can satisfy that personal preference in the name of Jesus. No, 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 no. Paul was saying, listen, I am emptying myself. I am leaving myself behind so that Jesus might become known. He might become famous. He might, he might change the lives of people in these places that I'm going. And so I'm going to empty myself. That's why we exist, to glorify God and to reach out to people who don't know him. We are his plan of kingdom expansion. You and me, we are his plan. The names that we wrote last week on the Belong posters may not know about these things if you don't tell them. Well, I think Paul wrote, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. 
What do you think Paul wrote? I am an ambassador for Christ. Man, let's agree that we'll do anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. Next, we agree to accomplish more with less. I love this fundamental for Mountain View. I think Mountain View already does this so well. Like, like seriously, how many of you have kind of watched the foyer project? Okay, good. Some of you woke up there. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, love, I love this. You know why the foyer is going to take like two years to do? Because we want to accomplish more with less. You know what that means? That sometimes we use a lot of different people. And, uh, and so we did. We had a group of guys. If you were a part of the group of guys who helped cut wood and, and get the wood ready for the staining, would you raise your hand? All right. Now you know why it was slow, right? You didn't see it. <laughs> okay. All right. And, and then it was up in Wally's shop, and he had tools that malfunctioned. I mean, it just took some time. And then we had a group of ladies who upstained all those boards. If you upstained the boards, let's see your hand. Ladies, or, or and men, all right, I guess they wouldn't let you work with the power tools, they gave you a paintbrush instead. All right, there you go, all right, so the, so the boards got stained, and, and, then, and then you should have seen it, if you helped lay it out and like put it up on the wall, would you raise your hand? I moved one board because it was overwhelming to me, all right, and then they nailed it, to the, and, and then we come in last Sunday, did you see, it was like, whoa, and we're just beginning, we're just beginning. There's a group of people here, all right? So George here, he's kind of, he's kind of helping do a lot of things. And, and uh, Mike Sutton, he's back here on the camera. Hi, Mike. Right? They, they laid all the carpet. Isn't that cool? So, so guess what? More for less. More for less is, is absolutely what we want to do, right? It's what we want to focus on. I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate about doing ministry for Jesus with less resources to honor Jesus. Why? Because he seems to teach this a lot. Listen to Matthew 25. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over what? Just a little bit. And so what is he going to do? Set him over much. And so let me tell you, typically the first thing they do is not write a check of 10%. Did you know that? It just isn't. It's usually not the first discipline. I'll read the Bible. I'll go to church. But you want me to what? You, you want me? To, how many of you even had that reaction when you first became a Christian? There's one honest soul. Thank you. Two honest souls. Three. Here we go. Right? The, the, you want me to do what? I go work all day long and I work hard and I work for little. And, and you know, you're telling me that I'm supposed to give what? How many of you had that reaction again? Yeah, that's normal. That's why, that's why we can reach people for Jesus, but guess what typically doesn't come with it? Offering. It just doesn't. It's a process. It's a journey. I accept that. And then if we're really truly trying to reach the next generation for Jesus, guess what? They're, they're going to make 10 to 15% less right now than they will in 10 to 15 years. So guess what? They're probably holding pretty tight. So here's the whole premise here. We need to continue to do more with less. Why? Because if we're reaching people for Jesus, the more's not going to come real quick. 
And so we just have to, as a church, we try to be thrifty. We really do. And we try to keep our costs down. We really do. And my hope is that people will grow and learn not about giving to the church for the sake of the church, but growing and giving because it's what Jesus teaches us. And if everybody we reach is able to give, can you imagine what the possibilities in the kingdom are? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what we might be able to accomplish? Next one. I got to go. We, we agree to accomplish more together than alone. Why? Because we're not just trying to build Mountain View Christian Church. We're trying to build Mountain View Christian Church and grow Mountain View Christian Church so that we can have a greater kingdom impact for God. And so we need to partner with churches and we need to partner with ministries and government agencies and and, and we need to partner with local community partners and we need to partner with missions so that we can accomplish more than we can do by ourselves. We can accomplish some alone, but when we partner with others to accomplish great work, guess what can happen? possibilities open and great things can happen. I love Acts chapter 4. This is what it says. There was not a needy person among them. Did you hear that? Can anybody imagine our world without a needy person right now? Like, wouldn't that be awesome? How'd they do it? Well, they didn't accomplish it alone. They were together. Next one, we agree to make a difference by affecting life change. We agree. Ephesians 3 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. To him be the glory and the honor in the church, as God's power works in us and as God's power works through us. Man, my heart is that Jesus would get all the glory as he works in me and as he works through us. That he gets the glory and that he would use Mountain View Christian Church to do more than what we could ever imagine being done. And my hope for Mountain View is that we would be so generous and so godly and so different that even people in our community who don't agree with our fighting hand wouldn't say, I don't know about that Jesus guy. But instead they would say this, well, at least those people take it seriously. They're generous, they're different, and they're making a difference in our community. Because when we, pe- when we show people love and when we serve people and when we are generous, it's hard, it is really hard to hate somebody who loves you, who shows kindness to you, who serves you, who's generous to you. And then I open an opportunity to tell them my story. My story is all about how Jesus changed my life. And so when we show them love, when we show them not just love, but when we show people the love of Jesus, it brings credibility credibility to the message of Jesus. And we make a difference in our communities. So that's it. For today, there's a few agreements that if you call Mountain View Christian Church your church home, our church family, Man, I just want you to agree with us on those things. And I want you to agree that we will affect life change. I want some of you today to say, you know what? I'm all in. I'm in. Count me in. I'm in. Now, here's the deal. Let me warn you. 
and I'm serious about this because I think one of the things the church has done wrong is the church says, hey, jump in and your life will be better. You know what I've learned about Jesus? Life is better, but not necessarily better. And if you've been around Mountain View for a while, you know that, right? And so let me warn you before you say, you know what? Yeah, I'm in. I'm all in. I want to partner. Yes, I'm good. If you want to partner for in the cause of Jesus, I mean, truly, you want to partner in the cause of Jesus, you need to understand that you'll be persecuted. You'll be rejected. You need to understand you'll be misunderstood. You'll be hurt. I mean, seriously, you'll be hurt deeply because your heart will expand for people who are in need and and your heart will expand for people who don't know Jesus yet and it will bother you and it'll bother you so much that you you won't be able to stand living in our American consumeristic, self-centered world that we live in. It'll bother you. It'll bother you so much it'll make you miserable until you have to make a difference. And so when you say I'm all in, you need to understand that you'll make a difference. And when we make a difference, this is the hope, this is the promise that when this little life is over and I get to stand before Jesus, he says, oh, (laughs) you did so well with so little. He'll say, job well done, good and faithful servant. You made a difference. I don't know how else to say it, but tell you. Get in. Get in. Quit playing. Stop playing. I mean, it's time to be sold out for Jesus and be a part of the church that wants to honor him and change the lives of the people around us.